I had um, a pet food round. I blame my dad for this, who's no longer with us, but I went to university, well, it was college at the time in Lincoln. I went to the tech call there, as it was, and went for a job in the bar and was told I could have it. And it was very hard work for very little pay. And my dad said, no, 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 no. You don't do that. Find out what people don't like carrying from the supermarket and deliver it to them, which is just genius, really. So we came up with two things, potatoes, which were heavy to carry, and uh, pet food, which were equally heavy to carry. So there was actually a pet food supply company, a big cash and carry place in Lincoln. And I realized that I could charge 68p and buy it for 34. So nice markup there even without a calculator. So I went around and knocked on a load of doors and this housing assistant said, do you have a cow or a dog? And it was simple as that. And I was making, I was making between 16 and hundred pound a week profit. And I was, you know, 17 years old and I'm on a moped in the dark and my first winter at uni, well, at tech and um, knocking on doors in the rain. And so that's what I mean by working hard. It was the kind of no excuses zone, I would call it. You know, I just did it anyway. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. This episode of the podcast is a really fun one. Sam Ashdown is a leading property industry marketing coach And with her son-in-law, Phil Jones, she co-owns Firewave, a marketing agency for estate agents, and also Ashdown Jones for Lake District Estate Agency. She's been featured in The Times for Telegraph on BBC Radio 4 and in House Beautiful. But Sam is also a friend of mine, and we often meet up in a peer mastermind group and chat to each other about our businesses. And we thought it would be fun to do a conversation on the podcast that's a little bit more like the kind of conversations we have privately, comparing notes on running our businesses and about what we're trying to achieve and how we do it, rather than doing a formal interview process. That means we have a bit more of a candid conversation where we cover everything from what our dreams are for our business how I might be able to buy my dream £4 million home in London, how Sam started her very first business as a teenager delivering dog food, the myth of passive income, and how she copes with controversy. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the Ideas Lab podcast. Hello, John. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Really glad you're here. We are friends. We met a few years ago. And um, we've been in a peer uh, mastermind group that you set up with another friend, Chris. And um, I thought it would be interesting, since you are a serial entrepreneur, and you, I think you said you have something like six businesses, I might ask what those are in a moment. I thought it might be interesting, we just have a kind of general conversation as, as a little bit similar to what we do when we're together, just talking as normal friends rather than trying to have some clever structured just conversation. Just riffing, riffing, riffing around, yeah. Yeah. Uh, riffing. From uh, how far away are you in Windermere from London? It, a long way, about 50 years. From London, is that it then? Yeah, about 50, <laughs> yeah. 50 years of passport and a nosebleed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Windermere sounds nice. I like that you do these daily, are you still doing these daily Facebook lives where you show the view from outside your, you know, from your back garden? Not not the regular ones. I was doing a news at 10 every day during lockdown to keep me sane. I'm not sure if it did the same for my audience. but So I don't do those anymore. But I do tend to, if I go up, a, we call them fells. You might call them big hills or mountains. If I go up a fell with my dog, then I might do um, a little live from the top of the fell. So people like you, vicariously from your lovely apartment um, overlooking the canal, can enjoy my views without actually getting off the sofa. That's the kind of way I like to absorb nature personally, just, you know, while sitting down looking at it. Yeah. So it's a very nice location. And uh, it, tell us about these businesses you run. You said, do you think you have about six? You didn't sound very sure when I asked you before we started recording. No, we've got a couple on the back burner. Well, I started off with one in 2004 and I've been collecting them ever since. And what what has occurred to wait, me so is- wait, wait, what's the first it one? It doesn't really- First, 2004, what was that first one? First one was Home Truths. 
And what is that? Home Truths, H-O-M-E-T-R-U-T-H-S. So that is a website dedicated to helping people sell their homes more effectively. Okay, that's cool. So that gets me a lot of PR. So I don't actually want to get rid of that because even though I haven't monetized it, it gets me a load of PR that I then sprinkle around the other businesses. So I can say, as seen in The Times, as seen on BBC, that kind of stuff. So that, that works really well for me. It's a bit of a positioning website. And then from there, that was 2004. And in 2010, I pivoted to looking after estate agents and coaching estate agents on how to grow their agencies and have a better and, and provide a better experience for their clients because obviously I'd come from the, the consumer-facing world. So I was teaching them what the consumers had told me mm. for the last six years. So I, I've been running that until until now, actually. I'm just literally beginning to wind that down a little bit because uh, three years ago, we opened our own estate agency, which I'd been uh, threatening to do for many years, finally did it, um, to a big sort of fanfare in the industry press. A lot of people, you know, were very vocal either way on that who does she think she is to i wish her well you know and everything in between you can imagine i think the actual headlines got something like you know 105 comments or something ridiculous um so that was 2017 with my son-in-law phil yeah so the son-in-law bit makes for a little bit of banter and a few raised eyebrows when we go around and see people in houses and they're trying to work out what the relationship between us and why I'm going out on a valuation with a 28-year-old. Um, so that's fun. And then we, because I'm absolutely passionate about marketing, I'm a marketer at my core, I developed a system for producing high-quality content marketing for Ashdown Jones, which is our agency. And then agents started saying, can I buy that marketing? And we're like, ah, actually, business number five, four, lost track, um, <laughs> marketing agency. So now we have a marketing agency called Firewave that is dedicated to providing content, offline and offline content for estate agents. And that is going gangbusters, absolutely phenomenally, really, really good. We took on 30 new clients during lockdown, which is just wow. you know, a bit weird, really. So this is a deal where, because one of my clients, I think – yeah, is is subscribing and the deal is they pay a certain amount of money per month and you put out content for them for their estate agency is that right yeah we do we don't actually put it we, we put it into a holding pen a bit like a hoop suite and they can schedule from there an app to all intents and purposes uh, or they can just download the whole lot and use them wherever they want because certain uh, social platforms like Instagram don't really like third-party integration. It's much better to post natively. So um, so we did that. And then we realized actually they need teaching how to use that. So we do a lot of teaching with that, which is wrapped up in a subscription. Um, and then we are sort of growing beyond that as well. Every time, I suppose the takeaway is I love building businesses. Not a very good finisher completer. It's not my nature. I like starting. I like processing. And then I like buggering off and doing something else um so that's why the serial bit comes in but each time we are actually just selling to the same people we're just selling in different ways so we're selling to homeowners who want to sell more effectively but predominantly our main market is to sell to estate agents who want to market themselves like we do and mm. more effectively so it helps us up our game and then we teach and yeah. supply to people who want to do the same that's so it's clever. a virtual circle really. yeah I like that. I remember Nick Williams telling me years ago, he said, if three people come up to me and say and ask if I do something and I'm not currently doing it, I start it. And that sounds like kind of what happened yeah. with your uh, with Firewave, where people say, well, like, your marketing's really good. I wish, can you do something like that for us? And, you know, if mm. enough people mm. ask, maybe you should start providing it. And, and you, so you spun Business. off a whole And sometimes business. you don't notice. Yeah, mm. sometimes it just kind of passes you by. You go, oh, yeah, I don't do that at the moment. And then you think, could I do it as a consultancy? Yeah, that'd be too expensive for them, too time-consuming for me. And actually, yes, you do have to ramp up to provide it to lots of people. We suddenly had to scale massively. You know, we suddenly had to have an app that delivered it because we didn't want to deliver it. We suddenly had to get a writer and a graphic designer and systems and processes and all that stuff. So we had to commit to it. And for a year, it bumbled along because we were trying to run Ashdown Jones at the same time. And then I took myself out of Ashdown Jones, took myself out of my coaching predominantly, stuck myself at this sort of head of growth of Firewave. And now that's doing amazingly. And that would probably be, so Ashdown Jones is going to be close to half a million pound turnover yearly in only its third year. 
and uh, Firewave is going to catch that up in about six months, which would be amazing. Wow. Um, and then we can put in a marketing director or an MD or whatever we choose to do, BD, to grow that even more. So it's very exciting. But as I was saying to you just off air, we've used every business to bootstrap the next. Yeah. So so Home Truths paid for Sam Ashdown and the website. Sam Ashdown paid for Ashdown Jones. Uh, Ashdown Jones paid for Firewave. Firewave is going to then pay for the next iteration. And so it goes on. <laughs> Do you know what the next iteration is? You might not say, but I mean. Of course I do, yeah. No, no, I've got two. We've got one that one that's on hold at the moment, which is AJ Retreats, which is a spin-off of Ashdown Jones, because most estate agents run a lettings business as well, and we don't. Um, it's a lot of work, and we haven't got enough transactional volume here. There's just not enough lets. All the lets here are holiday lets. So when people started saying to us, I want to buy that house off you, but I want to turn into a holiday let, we've started saying we can do that for you. Um, and so we have now basically whatever you'd want to call it, service accommodation, holiday let business, Airbnb business. It's the same principle where we help somebody generate holiday letting income from their house in whatever way they need to, whether it's to furnish it, to manage it, to clean it, to advertise it, yeah. whatever it is. So that's called AJ Retreats. So does this involve you working 24 hours a day, Sam? I don't think 24 hours are enough, actually, John. I tend to work 26, but uh, I realise I'm on borrowed time because I don't know where the two's coming from at the moment. <laughs> I feel like I'm always in deficit. It's true. I um, I got up at half five this morning to write content, uh, but by the time it gets to the evening, my brain is completely a mess of pulp. So I don't try and do anything in the evening. So I'm a morning person. It is about systems and process and getting the right staff in. And I know that's easy to say and not easy to do. And we've made some colossal mistakes along the way, very expensive mistakes. But ultimately, systems and processes are what carry you through. We we discovered yesterday, as I was trying to do something, we didn't have what we call a task sheet. Some people might call it a process sheet on that particular thing. And so that's Tilly's doing that right now, my assistant, to try and get that sorted because that was a hole in our system. So it's a system that breaks, not a person, is my belief. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So this is like, as you start to hire people, you, you, you know, you can quickly become frustrated. If, if you can hear a strange noise, it's because <clears throat> there's somebody cleaning the window over there. I don't know if you can actually see. I think he's over that corner. <laughs> I saw them on your... Uh, yeah, I posted it on Facebook yeah. that he's... um That's cool, yeah. I like he's that. abseiling. <clears throat> Social distancing window cleaner. Yeah, about six floors up and it's a little bit noisy. Um, yeah, so when you start employing people, you, you know, you very quickly realize you, get, you can get frustrated and go, God, why do they do it like this? An idiot. And then you go, oh, maybe I didn't actually tell them how to do it. Or maybe, you know, the way I told them how to do it actually wasn't really very clear unless you can read my mind. And then you start realizing yeah. the value. Because the, the interesting thing in the entrepreneurial journey, because I wanted to kind of uh, get your advice with people right at the beginning of this, is that I was thinking this morning, it's like um, – it's like a learning journey and you're always learning new skills. So things become exciting, which previously you never thought about and or just sounded really boring. So as you go further on, like paying attention to the numbers and finance and who who's a good accountant becomes like really, really interesting subject. Whereas at the beginning, well, for a lot of creative people, that's not really what excites them. They want to make money, but they don't want to kind of look at balance sheets and stuff like that. And then I think processes is one of those things. So at the beginning, someone it's not kind of thing why people, most people don't rush into entrepreneurship because they want to start writing process sheets or task sheets, which are things that describe exactly how to do a task. But it becomes this thing that is really important because otherwise, if you didn't have those, Sam, you'd be doing everything yourself at this point or people would be doing it and messing it up and they wouldn't know how to get it right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at McDonald's, you know, it's it's the obvious obvious choice to point to because, you know, if you went to into 100 McDonald's, you'd expect to see to get 100 burgers all exactly the same. You wouldn't be able to tell where you were in the world by the burger you got. And that's that's consistency. And that comes down to at some point, somebody's decided how to make the perfect burger, documented it and then taught other people how to follow it. So when you join McDonald's, I would imagine there isn't a huge amount of unique training 
it's all training that they've delivered a million times across the globe that they know works. And the sooner we can get onto the systems and the processes that work with our businesses, the sooner we can scale. You can't scale a business that's not processed. It's just yeah. impossible because you're constantly looking for unique ways to deal with things. So when um, I've got an assistant in the Philippines and when I say to her, did you do such and such? And she says, no, I say the first, my question, first question is, what does the task sheet say? We'll go, ah, okay, there's a step missing in the task sheet. Right. Let's go back to the task sheet and do it. And you have enough task sheets, you've got a manual. You've mm. Manual, you've got a saleable business. Yeah, that's interesting. We have a, an assistant in the Philippines as well. And uh, he's currently managed by Ben, who's my kind of right-hand guy. But there's, um, yeah. Uh, so if someone's at the beginning of this journey and has an idea for a business, is there a, advice for you kind of, that comes under that category of stuff I wish I knew when I started out. Is there anything you'd really want to get across to people? Obviously systems and processes is quite important, but is there something yeah. else even earlier than that? I wish I'd read a book called Screw Work, Let's Play. Yeah. Because <laughs> really? apparently that tells you exactly how to get your idea off the ground you and then you're not just it, flailing around in the dark. Yeah, have you read um, it? I've read parts of it. Okay. My son's reading it at the moment and he rates it very highly. Yeah. And, uh, and then I said, he said, um, I think you should read it, mum. And I went, excuse me don't you think i'm a little bit beyond that and he went well look at this page and i went oh that's really interesting i think i might read that <laughs> yeah so the there chapter... you go that's my snob by looking out oh that's good then yeah no there's some good stuff um yeah so uh, <laughs> um aside so from question, recommending people read my books what else would you recommend um I think when I see people making mistakes, because if I'm going to be really honest, it's not much that I wish I'd done differently because the mistakes have all added to the, you know, the overall mm. beautiful tapestry that now my business is. Um, but when I see other people making mistakes, I think the biggest mistake they make is thinking they can do it part time and thinking that uh, such thing as a passive income exists. Yes, I think those, those two things uh, should be wiped off the face of the earth. I don't think passive and income can ever go in one sentence. Not I, if you if you want the income to be more than one pound fifty a week. I think you just broke some people's hearts there. But I mean, I'm I so always sorry. I quote property as being one of the things that is closest because I agree pro, passive income is more or less nonsense. Probably the closest you get is is owning property, doesn't it? Because I own a property that I used to live in and I rented out and. Although having said that, they've decided to just not answer me and pay any rent at the moment. But you know, <laughs> not normally, that passive then. Huh? But, not that passive then. No, no, exactly. Uh, but we month on month they generally pay the rent, which is uh, very kind of them. Um, and I generally let them stay there. So that that's the closest come to passive income. But why do you say that passive income doesn't really exist then? Well, because even property, um, it. It's only passive when it's behaving itself. You know, as soon as, as soon as the actual model stops behaving itself, it stops becoming passive. So it's not truly passive. It's only passive for a period of time. And it wouldn't feel very passive if property prices suddenly plummeted by 50%. So I think nothing is passive um, permanently. And nothing that you want to build to something substantial is passive. I think it's impossible. I was talking to, talking to a friend recently, I say friend loosely, um, he has, he's got no, no idea of business really at all. And he's a, he's a builder. Uh, he's an architect, but he's now a builder. Um, cause he couldn't get any architect work and he wants to build his big dream is to build eight teams of, uh, 10 people in each team. It could have been 10 teams of eight people. Can't remember what exactly. Cause by this time I was just, my mouth was open because he then was talking about going off and living in the med and living off his income. I said, so you think that 80 people don't need any kind of managing then. And he said, well, each one would have a team. Okay, so now you've got eight, plus the 80, by the way, because it's still your responsibility. What about the eight? Oh, yeah, but there'd be a one. Right, so now you've got 88, you've got 89 people now. Because, you know, you're not out of that loop. That's your income, your financial future. You've got to take responsibility for it. You're on a boat in the med. You know, one thing goes wrong. Your business is you know, no more yeah. potentially. So you, you, it's, it's impossible. And I think that, you know, Steve Jobs didn't sit down with his first ever Apple Mac and go, do you know what? I could make a passive income out of this, <laughs> yes. this baby here. I, I think I can just go and do my gardening yeah. and just, the money will just come rolling in. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, 
I think it's pretty much nonsense. And I think if you look at, you know, that was my only, I, I, I quite like the four hour work week as a book. It's very inspiring. And, and, and Tim Ferriss made some very good points, but really he never lived it. I mean, he's never been a passive income guy. And I don't know how much his supplement, you know, the whole book was based on the fact that he made money out of this supplement, but it, the ultimately that's not going to last very long because if you're being passive, somebody will come along who doesn't mind being active and the active person is <laughs> going to beat the <laughs> passive person. And, you're absolutely right. And yeah. so like they're going to make more money than you and then you're going to be out of the market and you're going to be destroyed yeah. by that. Because there's, there's the, the reason my, why my approach is you have to actually be excited by what you're doing, which is the point of this wonderful book that you recommended. Um, which, which is that um, you can't, it's very difficult to compete against somebody who loves what they does or who's excited about what they do because they're, they're going to do more of it because, you know, the things I read for fun and watch on TV for fun largely overlap with the things that, um, that I, that are to do with my business. They're, you know, they're, they're so close together. So I'm doing effectively more hours than, than somebody else who is just trying to phone it in. And that will always be the case, mm. but it doesn't feel like work when I'm, you know, listening to a podcast no. or something. I feel yeah. exactly the same. I can't honestly say, hand on heart, that to go into a two million pound house with a lake view, sit on their terrace and have a cup of tea with them for two hours, you know, that's not, I'm not mining at the coalface, you know, I'm not <laughs> fixing roads. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing something that I find inherently very, very enjoyable. And most people would, I think maybe what we should be talking about, if somebody does want that kind of business model, isn't passive income, it's recurring income, yes. which is a whole different ballgame. So Firewave is recurring income. Now, a lot of agents that we teach, this we being Phil and I, that we coach, are, have got lettings and sales. And the idea is that Lettings pays, you know, the bread and butter stuff. It's it's recurring. You get on average between 50 and sort of 80 pounds per month for every let that you manage. Um, and if you've got enough of them, you've got enough to build a little team and, you know, it's good little recurring income. And it usually pays for all your overheads of your offices and et cetera. Mm. And then you add sales to it. And that is your profit. It's your new car. It's your holiday. It's your stamp duty if you decide to move. It's those kind of things. It's the, you know, the added bonus. It's the fun bit, I think. Now, we chose not to do lettings because it's not financially viable here. So we need a recurring income. So we've got Firewave, which is a marketing agency. We could have very easily gone complete consultancy, complete unique work every time. But no, we went, we went recurring. At no way or shape or form is it passive, but it is recurring and it's systemized. I think you're right. So it's I think, the balance, balance them both up. That's what people want. They want to get out of this constant, particularly if you, you know, often people get into internet marketing and then they, it sounds very exciting. And then you realize you're in this relentless launch thing, which kills you. And so they start thinking about passive income. But what, I think what they really mean is they want recurring income. So yeah. like you say, if you can, if you don't want to be continually slogging every day to make a bit of money, which is then, gone and spent you want to if you're going to slog to make a sale you want to make a sale that then continues paying you money as long as you're doing something good for people so i think that's a really good um distinction yeah but i think if you have a recurring income business i think something that probably you've seen this as well john is people think they can take the right off the ball i've got all this money coming in it's great so we've got a list of 60 clients 65 with clients on our wall in the other room and each one is traffic lighted so if they're green and they've got two ticks next to them, they've been, you know, they've been spoken to or communicated with in the last couple of weeks, all is good. They're all fine. If they're amber, they've got a little warning sign next to them, speak to them in the next week or, you know, check on them in the next month, whatever. And if they're red, we're in danger of losing them. And the reason we're in danger of losing them is because they're not implementing what we've taught them. Not because we're failing, because they're failing and that will yeah. ultimately result in us failing. So if we pay attention so out of 60 we've got five red clients we pay attention to those our retention will go up so that's what i mean is it's not passive but it is recurring but we still need to keep putting our effort into it every month to make sure it's bigger and better every month than it was the month before that's a brilliant idea and i love it you know we, we're developing this now for people on the pioneer program we've got a, a student database and we and, and our purpose really is to create um a like a, a dashboard that shows us whether people are falling behind because what we found in the past is you wouldn't always catch that somebody had just you know quietly disappeared and then it, it the uh 
frustration is, you know, we can help anybody, we can fix anything, but occasionally one or, one or two people would just sort of go quiet and then they would feel ashamed of not keeping up or maybe something going on in their head. And then at the end they go, oh, you know, uh, they'd slink away. Maybe they wouldn't have got anything. It'd be really frustrating because we could have helped them. So now what we're doing is we, <clears throat> in a similar way, trying to do a kind of traffic light system where we're thinking, okay, is this person progressing well? Uh, or, or not, and then catch them before it goes too far and just go, where have you gone? Are you hiding? Because that's really the way people self-sabotage. And in the same way that your clients, you know, will, will get overwhelmed and don't keep up and aren't really using the content you're giving them. Mm. So I'm trying to think. It's exactly the same. And do you know what? Mm. Let me just tell you as well, gyms should do this. Why did gyms sell us a membership? give us a crappy induction and then just let us fall off the face of the earth and then cancel or try and cancel in a year's time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good idea. It's such a simple thing to do. And it made me occur because somebody was saying, uh, maybe somebody came from, from you, I don't know, but somebody was on the five day challenge. I think it may have been somebody who joined actually, uh, joined the pioneer program. And, uh, but I can't remember whether it was or not, but it was somebody who was saying, I was thinking, thinking of starting a service. It might've been a state agency. And, but I'm worried there's a lot of competition. And I said, but what you've got to realize is, oh, it's a letting a- agency. So yeah, oh, management. my way. Management. It was management. So it was man- uh, managing um, lettings. And I said, look, here's the thing. I had a, an original, I had Martin Gerard manage my property that I own. Then I switched to Purple Bricks. And now here, because I rent here, um, I have a managing agent here who I pay Every single one of those three people have been utterly, utterly useless. So you, what you have to remember <laughs> is that in some industries, the bar is so low. I mean, if you're a plumber, oh, it's so low. if you're yeah. a plumber, if you turn up on time and do what you promised, <laughs> charge what you said you were going to charge, be nice while you're there, and then clear up before you leave, you're already in the top 1% of plumbers. Maybe not in Unbelievable, Germany. Unbelievable, isn't it? Maybe not in Germany, because I hear there's a totally different experience over there, but Maybe uh, you have to try harder in Germany. Well, the bar be, is higher. But yeah. you can always get over the bar, always. Yeah, right. You're never yeah. going to be at the top. Yeah, and by you know, this traffic light whether, system. Whether you're Tiffany's or, or Savoy, you are never at the top. There is always somebody. I mean, what did the Savoy think when, I don't know, the Dorchester opened or, you know, where the – what's that one in um, Dubai is called, that seven-star hotel – you know, we used to think the five was the top and now there's a seven. Yeah. You know, you wait till somebody brings out an eight or a nine or a ten. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, so the question I wanted to ask you is, what drives you? Are you are you trying to get rich? It, I asked you earlier, I said, like, are you rich yet? And you went, I'm getting there. <laughs> Something like that. I so, will be. And I said, I will be. You will be, okay. getting there. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. So I don't believe in a pension and I don't believe in property for investment unless because I didn't buy 20 years ago and still, you know, sitting on that now. I don't have that. So so my businesses are my pension. So particularly um, recurring business, recurring income businesses are much easier to sell. And I have always had that in my mind with Firewave because I can't sell some Ashdown coaching because I'm not selling me. And I probably can't sell Ashdown Jones, the estate agent, even if I ever wanted to. But I can sell Firewave that is a recurring income business with systems and processes. So um, I know that's not the answer to your question. But if if I can be assured of my financial future, then I can do whatever I like in between. And, and talking about your book, Screw Work, Let's Play, that's what I feel like I'm doing. I feel like I'm playing. Like business is a game. And as long as everybody in the game is happy and there's no losers – then I'm going to continue to play. And I can do that because I've got the financial future secure. Whereas a lot of people are trying to play now and they don't have the financial you know, future secure. So that's the difference, I think, between me and, and maybe somebody who is thinking that they just want to just pursue their passion. You know, if painting flowers all day is their passion, they think they can do that and they'll make a fortune. And that may not be the case. So you've got to, you've got to, be, um, you've got to be pragmatic about what earns your income that's why i love your book what earns your income and what's your passion and do the two genuinely cross or do they not because so my passion is consumer psychology and with marketing that is an explosive mix because i know what make what marketing makes people take action because it's consumer psychology and i could literally you know read books on consumer psychology all day long and to me that would be all my playing time i learned that i could do better in business i can earn more money 
but if my if my hobby was was painting flowers i'd need something else i'd need an income yeah and i think sometimes i mean art is always because i you know i've written a bit about this and it's always a, a, a challenge making money from art although i just read an interview with damien hearst this morning that was hilarious it's on <laughs> it's on i'm going to email it out of my newsletter i think um but it's he because he had like a weekend where his, his his financial person said to him uh well it's another double lottery rollover weekend damien which meant he'd made 30 million pounds that weekend between friday and monday and guess what he still managed to sell it he still managed to spend it so because oh when he, my god how do you spend that much money well, what he said was when he when he shopped for an accountant i was going to write a newsletter about this when he shopped for an accountant he basically said you know i'm looking for a creative person who wants to work in a creative environment and he goes i now realize i shouldn't have done that i need a boring person who loves numbers because <laughs> he kept hiring these creative accountants who really weren't doing the job they, they just wanted to be with damien hurst and they wanted to be in a studio where millions of pounds are being made and they weren't really watching his money. So, um, which I, I thought was, uh, was very funny. Um, but that, no, I think that's a really good point about passion. Sometimes the two can, can come together and, you yeah. know, I've got a client at the moment who could do a very practical coaching thing. He's got a passion about nature and he's a great photographer and he lives in a sort of location-independent way, I think those come together because the kind of coaching he wants to do is to coach yeah. entrepreneurs who want to have a bigger life, which means not just working. And like what are, yeah. like you've just said, what well, you want to get out of this is a kind of, you know, uh, a retirement strategy. And mm. uh, other people have all sorts of plans. You know, my dream would be to be able to buy uh, a really nice flat in the centre of London, overlooks the water, has an has a great balcony, and unfortunately, it's looking like it's going to cost somewhere between two and four million pounds. And and so, if if there's any, there aren't really there aren't really many other things I want from an expensive lifestyle. You know, I don't really. I've got a car I already like. I've got, you know, I don't know what else. I, I can always find things to spend money on because I like gadgets. But but you don't I, you don't have you wouldn't have to. Own- it though the cost of ownership and the cost right. of renting are two different things because you yeah you know you could you could attain that you could attain it more easily than trying to save up four million quid john okay so because you you often recommend <laughs> renting over over buying even though you run an estate yeah. agency which even seems though I run be- an estate agency. because when we sell a two million pound house overlooking the lake there is no um i don't know there's no financial justification for that especially when it's a second home or third home. That is a complete 100% emotional purchase. You can't justify that on any spreadsheet anywhere. I'm sorry, it just doesn't exist. So um, if I was buying with my heart, I would go ahead and buy. But um, unfortunately for me, I have got a very, very strong left brain and it says, no, 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 don't throw your money away on buying, for goodness sake. I honestly believe buying is dead money and renting is fluid money, which is the opposite way around to what most people think. That's that's interesting. So what I need to do then is I need to work out what the rental cost is per month. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Have a recurring yeah. income like you've built. There you go. Might, okay. Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. Now, now. I'll tell you what else you could do as well. I'll tell you what else you could do. You rent three. You Airbnb two. You use the profit from the air, from the two Airbnbs to fund yours. Is that is that obviously allowed? with permission? You, you with permission? Of course it is. Yeah. Okay. Right. See, this is what I like. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is, this is what we would do here. In fact, it's kind of what we are doing. So we would approach somebody who's got a house for rent for £1,000 a month and go, do you know what, we'll give you twelve fifty. sign us up for three years, let us change your kitchen and your bathroom and your carpets. We'll rent it out for three grand a month on Airbnb. Everybody's happy. You could do exactly the same and use the Airbnb income to pay for your primary income and then you're living rent-free. Okay. I like that. I think we'll have to have a, a further discussion about this <laughs> offline. And now suddenly my dream... Companies are doing it, but they're kind of doing it under the radar where, you know, um, it's not widely known. But as long as you can find a landlord that is a bit more open-minded, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, there's a really wow. good a company called London Shared. Mm. Slightly different business model. Same idea, though. Uh, so same financial model, just a different way of doing it. So they rent they they rent properties on a three-year lease from private landlords usually family homes turn it into a house where 
maybe used to have four bedrooms and they've now got six. Um, and they pay for all the, you know, changes and furniture and all the rest of it. And they stick six professional sharers in. And then right. they bag the profit. Right. Takes them, I don't know, maybe a year or two to make the profit. And then everything after that, they're, they're quids in. So I think may, maybe I should, I'll do a little shopping online today. Find, hey, do you do any you of that kind of um, affirmation stuff of like, this is uh, all, all vision board? You don't do any of that? Don't even know. I'm not woo-woo one bit. Don't even go there. I don't need an affirmation. I just know I can do it. Forget that. <laughs> Forget that, no. Do you know what? I think I was I was brought up in a very empowering household where I, I genuinely thought, and I don't know if anybody ever said it's, I thought I'd do anything. In fact, when Margaret Thatcher became the first woman, woman prime minister in 1979, I was thoroughly pissed off because I thought that was going to be me, but I was only 13, so I couldn't do much about it. Um, in fact, I wasn't. I was 11. Just don't want you to add any more years onto my already, uh, you know, <laughs> aging age. Um, so, and then somebody, when I was 13, somebody swam the channel. I'm like, that's the youngest person who ever swam the channel. I can't do it. So I was constantly trying to be the first or the best or whatever when I was growing up. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me I couldn't do it. I, I honestly, the first time that I was told I couldn't do something was I failed my driving test. I'm like, what's this all about? How can I, I can't fail? I wasn't even a high achiever. I just assumed I was probably a little bit arrogant in fairness, but it gave me a confidence to be able to tackle anything I wanted to. So even though I've got, you know, a co-owner of six businesses now, I started my first business when I was 15, 16, mm. no, maybe 16, 17. You know, it it never occurred to me that you shouldn't have your own business. I didn't really want a job for the rest of my life. What was your first I've business? I've always worked incredibly hard. Yeah, well, that that is a key <laughs> part I, of it, yes. And that's the impression I get. So what was the first business that you worked hard on? Uh, I had um, a pet food round. Right. So I blame my dad for this, who's no longer with us, but I went to university, well, it was college at the time in Lincoln. I went to the tech call there, as it was, and went for a job in the bar in a bar and was told I could have it. And it was very hard work for very little pay. And my dad said, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. Find out what people don't like carrying from the supermarket and deliver it to them, which is just genius, really. So we came up with two things, potatoes, which were heavy to carry, um, and uh, pet food, which were equally heavy to carry. So there was actually a pet food supply company, a big cash and carry place in Lincoln. And I realized that I could charge 68p and buy it for 34 so nice markup there even without a calculator so i went around and knocked on a load of doors and this housing and said do you have a car or dog and it was simple as that and i was making i was making between 16 100 pound a week profit and i was you know 17 years old and i'm on a moped <laughs> in the dark in my first winter at uni well at tech and um knocking on doors in the rain and so that's what i mean by working hard it was the kind of no excuses zone, I would call it. You know, I just did it anyway. Yeah. And that's my the, parents just support me all the way through I it. love that. I think that's brilliant. You, you, alluded, you said something slightly earlier, a little bit earlier on. You just sort of alluded to some um, online, um, I don't know what, trolling or controversy, or at least people, when, when you announced, I think, your own estate agency, I'm not sure what it was. and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some people said, yay, go for it. And some people said nasty things. Have you seen, I've been interested in this recently. Um, have you seen, uh, people attack you and do you, do you come in for trolling? Cause I think this is a big fear for people when they start out being more visible, particularly if they start putting stuff on social media, but they're going to get trashed by somebody. Has that happened? So what? Why do you care what other people think anyway? I mean, you know, unless it's my grandma, I'm not going to care what they think. But yeah, it's always going to happen. But, you know, the first month in business, Phil went and knocked on the door of a house that was for sale with a rival that was about a million quid, which was pretty brave of him at 25 years old. Knocked on the door and said, can we help in any way? Unfortunately for him, the guy that owned the house um, played golf with the owner of the estate agent that was our competitor. So next thing we know, we get a snotty email from this guy saying, how dare you try and steal my clients? Um, I've seen your fees on your website and, and I'm going to look forward to, um, you know, undercutting you every opportunity. And the how dare you, all you have is um, a laptop and confidence. We're <laughs> like, oh, what, what else is there? <laughs> and now 
now we've been so much more successful than him in the last three years. We've taken off, off him so many large houses, even though he's got a cheaper fee. So, you know, the um, <laughs> revenge is very sweet. But the point is, Phil at the time was under the table, you know, shaking. Like, oh my God, I've had an email, nasty email. I'm like, he's noticed us and he considers us a threat and we've only been open a month. And we should frame it. And really interesting point. His only retort was to drop his prices. And he thought, oh, okay, hello. <clears throat> oh, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. I'll do that. I've been in business for 40 years. So dropping the prices is obviously going to work. Yeah. That hilarious. Is- hilarious. So, so no, if you call it trolling if you want, but to me, it's just, you know, it's other people's business. Other people's business is all about their own insecurities. When they say, who do you think you are? They actually mean, who do we think I am? I can't do that. I mean, but you've got to have the confidence of your convictions to get through that. You know, um, if you've got a if you've got a problem with that, read inspirational autobiographies, read, you know, Goggins and read, um, I don't know, Nike, uh, Phil Knight and read Dyson and read Branson. You know, they've all been trolled, whatever they called it in 1962, probably not trolling, but, you know, they've all been told no multiple times and they did it anyway. You, you've, if you need that inspiration, take it from somebody else you know, take it from somebody else's story because however bad your story is, I tell you what, it's not bad as bad as David Goggins, is it? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's people out there that have succeeded with a lot less than, than you've got right now. Yeah, yeah. David Goggins was a, we, we saw him, we both were at an event. We saw him speak live. It was, um, what's his name's event? Nick James's event, wasn't it? And, Nick um, James, yeah, expert empire. Yeah, and... He was, he's very, and he was very engaging, actually, quite humorous. I, I liked him. His uh, autobiography, which is particularly good on audio, people say, is um, I recommend it to a few people, even though I haven't listened to the whole thing. Um, is very inspiring. And he's, he went through hell and back uh, uh, in to, to, to achieve what he achieved. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I think that's good advice. And I think also um, it, people should, realize that usually at the beginning it tends to get worse as you become bigger profile so uh it, maybe you get a bit of thicker skin though as you get a bigger profile that's right. that's you need to, you need to grow thick skin alongside it yeah i know i can't imagine anything somebody could say to me now that would really cause me uh, an enormous amount of trouble i don't know if there's something out there waiting when i have it but i know myself fairly well and i'm i'm fairly evolved and, and sometimes when i put something I think, out I, I think what's the worst someone could say and I think of it and then I go, yeah, if they said that, that's okay. If they said that's okay, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, what's the big deal? And it's their issue, not, not yours. I think probably as entrepreneurs, the biggest danger we've got is when we start becoming successful because I think your ego comes to the fore. And I remember reading a book about ego. It's the uh, Eckhart Tolle one. Um, is it A Whole New Earth or something? Whole New right. Earth, something like that. It's a bit woo-woo for me, but I got the idea. And the idea is that your ego is always there to try and protect you. So when somebody phones you and says, well, why should I use your services? You know, your ego comes forward and opens its big fat mouth and starts going, because I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And that is your biggest danger. Whereas what you should be doing is saying to that person, well, I don't know if I'm right for you. So mm. let me ask you some questions, which is, you know, you, you grow into that maturity, but it's very, it's very easy to be very defensive and for that ego to become yeah. your big enemy. So it becomes the big thing in the room. And that's actually the good, you know, what real sales is. Sales is asking questions and, and understanding people and listening. Um, you've been on Matt Elwell's uh, sales course, which we, we both did the intro to. Is that how he teaches yeah. or is, he, is it all about closing? Yeah, he does. He teaches, no, powerful questions. No, okay. no, he doesn't okay. really. Um, I would say that he's really good at powerful questions. And I think that, I think underneath it all, you've got to have, and it sounds a bit weird, but you've got to have the feeling that you need to serve. So when an estate agent phones me up and says, you know, I'm struggling to do such and such, I've got to unpack that. I've got to be like, you know, a detective and go, hang on, struggling to do this. What does this mean then? So let's say they're struggling to get through the door of, you know, properties in their area. Well, what does that mean? What are you doing? Why do you need to get through the doors? What are you charging? What, what's, what's the end game? You know, what, what do you want to do? How do you feel when you're in front of them? There's a million questions I want to ask them. And then by the time we've got to all that, it's a bit like a doctor. You go into a doctor, you go, you know, my, my foot hurts. And they go, well, there's, there's some ibuprofen. See you. But what they don't know is your foot is attached to something else that is caused by something else and something else. 
So a, a good doctor will obviously ask lots of questions. If, if, you, if you've got a service to sell, you've got to expect some people are not a good fit for your service or they need something slightly different. And you've got to recognize that. That's where I think bad salesmen get the bad rap because they try and sell something that doesn't fit yeah. or doesn't work for that person. So it's about asking powerful questions. And I don't know if you've heard of the Toyota five whys, have you? So you ask five mm. whys. So why is a very confrontational question. But let's say you said, you said to me, right, I'm an estate agent and I want to make more, more money. And I would say, why do you want to make more money, John? And you'd say, oh, because I want to go on holiday all the time. Well, why do you want to go on holiday? And eventually the last why would be because I hate being an estate agent, maybe. You know, and, and so I've got to bear that in mind when I'm trying to sell you something about being a better estate agent. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I've heard that one. Uh, yeah. About five whys. That's very powerful. Okay, yeah. well. The book uh, actually. Toyota Way, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah, Toyota Way. I haven't read that thing. So that, that's been really interesting. If people want to know more about you, Sam, where should they go? Since you've got about 14 websites. Probably. Come and see me in Windermere. Yeah, because um, no, the best place nice. is on Facebook. Send me a Facebook friend request. I will accept anybody and everybody. Trolls, <laughs> enemies. Really? competition i don't care i'll just accept them all into my lovely family uh yeah send me a friend request on facebook that's my home that's where i live if you want to do it on linkedin that's fine just be aware that the welcome message you get has nothing to do with me it's everything to do with my lovely assistant um and it might not make any sense for you so uh, send me a personal message and we can actually have a conversation but i like people to reach out to me in a real way you know without a copy and paste and i like to have a real conversation and as long as they have piqued my interest. I'll answer any questions for them. Oh, good. Yeah, no, you've been very helpful for me. I remember you helped me a few years ago with the webinars or something like that. Yeah, it's very good. I did, but you helped me. That was actually repayment for a, a conversation that me and you had where you were telling me, about, and I forgot what it's called now, that strengths wheel thing. Oh, uh, Wealth called? Dynamics, yeah. Oh, wealth yeah. Dynamics, which I find fascinating. That was the first conversation we had. I was walking through Houston. And you were chattering away to me. I thought, this guy really knows his stuff. He's really helpful. He doesn't even know me. So um, I really appreciate that. Right, right. Good. Well, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person before too long. Um, I want to come kayaking with you. Or I want you to come kayaking with me on Windermere, which would be slightly more interesting maybe. Well, it's very inspired. Maybe not. I I like the look of where you go. Yeah, you know, um, Dan Meredith uh, does, uh, who we saw also at that event with Nick James, yeah. um, <clears throat> who I thought was very ent- entertaining. He um, uh, he did this thing called, um, uh, I forgot, jet ski, jet ski coaching. So he says, come and spend a day with me in Brighton. This when he lived in Brighton. And he's got two jet skis, <laughs> presumably, or maybe he rents them. And like, we'll spend the day together and we'll jet ski and I will work on your business with you. It's like it's 1500 quid or oh, something like that at the time. And, uh, and I thought, what a brilliant idea. And I thought maybe I could do kayak coaching. So maybe there's some sort of thing. I could you get should. a, well, a two right, I'll put it out there. I'll, I'll do fell walking coaching. Yeah, I like I'll that. charge 1500 quid and you can buy me lunch and we'll walk up some fells together and we'll, we'll just smash out all the problems in your business. That okay, would I've be, just decided, there you go, business number seven. That would be a bargain for 1,500 quid, I tell you. That, that would be. No, it would be, be, be people get an enormous amount out of it in a, a day spent with you. My fear is I wouldn't be able to survive the day of fell walking. You won't be able to speak. <laughs> no. That's the problem. You wouldn't be able to, you just have to listen, which is actually quite good for me. I'll just talk at you yeah. for a couple of hours up a, up a hill. It's not, I'll bring my assistant, he can, he can fell walk with us and he can just write everything down. Well, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm going numb and nodding. <laughs> <laughs> and trying not to expire. The, the first time I went kayaking, it felt like I was doing no exercise at all. And the next day I could barely move. In fact, when I got home, I couldn't, I couldn't lift up happens, my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, because no, it does happen. It's true. <laughs> just like, what, what muscles true. are the, but anyway, I'd broken them. Uh, well, it's muscles you don't use. That's yeah. the problem. So you don't feel that, that it's hard, but it is actually hard. I, I love kayaking. And but when you kayak on Windermere, well, any of the lakes and you guys surrounded by the mountains, there's just, it's just a, a sense of being so present in that moment. It's just an amazingly powerful feeling. It is. I get my best ideas when I go out on the hills. Even on the canal, which is not quite as romantic, but it's still rather nice. There's something about just being right next to the water and that you're at duck level because there's a lot of uh, wildlife in the, around the canal here. And yeah. uh, there's something very calming immediately. There's lots of people running and cycling down the towpath and swearing at each other for doing so. 
And then, but when we're in the water, suddenly it all seems very calm. So uh, maybe the kind of different coaching, world. And I think yeah. that, I think, I think the thing is with the towpaths is they travel, aren't they? Whereas kayak is about being, mm. you know, and I think that, yeah, no, I really envy you. And I'd love to kayak through a city. I think that would be an amazing mm. experience. I think it's fantastic. And I'm sure you get loads of great ideas in your kayak. I love it when you do the kayak. Live the and then the, yeah this is the facebook live from a kayak dogs jump in next to you absolutely <laughs> brilliant and then it turns out that a friend of mine on facebook knew that because he's got a dog he knows everybody who owns a dog in london apparently and he goes <laughs> oh that's Stephen with with fluff fluff or whatever the dog's <laughs> name was i said well send him the video and tell him not to do that again because <laughs> his dog I'm jumped so in be right behind me <laughs> i nearly threw my phone out of the kayak it was shock because there was suddenly this huge splash <laughs> Oh, I have to tell you this very quickly. I was I went out for a run on Sunday morning with a friend, obviously socially distancing, and we were running through this field. And because I was chatting with her so much, this is just me all over. I forgot to put my dog on a lead. Next thing I know, dogs chasing sheep, uh, farmers driving down through the field. It's all going, you know, wrong. Um, <laughs> and little tiny lamb. Little, well, my dog won't touch them, but he will chase. He loves yeah. chasing. He's a cheap dog. So he thinks he's rounding them up, but he's not very good at it. So they, you know, they just run away from him. So this little tiny lamb, little black lamb, looks a bit like a billy goat, decides to throw itself into the river that's alongside the side of this um, field, which is a 10-foot drop off a wall. So there's me thinking that, you know, the lamb's dead. Look over, no, it's swimming across the other side with an equally impenetrable bank. So because the farmer's coming, I think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I have to jump into the river. Really? Fully closed. Up to, yeah, up to my waist, yeah. wade across the river, pick this flipping lamb up that doesn't deserve to be rescued probably, wade back again, try not to fall over. In all my running gear, it's raining. It's honestly, it's like some hell and brimstones. Yeah. Pass this lamb to this livid farmer that I've then got to pacify. And then he just walks off and I can't, I can't get out of the flipping river. <laughs> really? And then I have to run for five miles for my penance in the storm soaking wet because it was my fault that my dog chased the lamb wow there you go that's what it's like so that's my equivalent of your kayak cast yeah here in the lake district yeah but i I hope you start doing retreats up there because it's beautiful i'll just do a retreat for me and you john yeah just retreat up to the lake when you can we'll just do that that and we'll go for a big pub lunch yeah excellent yeah that bit i like okay all right so if people want to find you look on facebook or linkedin for sam ashdown yeah and that much um, down on facebook or linkedin yeah uh, that's been brilliant and then and i'm sure they can find from linkedin your many businesses will be linked on there anyway if they want to find out about those they will be yeah yeah yes of course cool. ask, yeah well thanks very much sam it's been my pleasure it's been good fun have yeah. we actually been podcasting i've just been chatting chit-chattering yeah. away as no. usual i wrote down a list while you were you probably heard me typing of really key things that you said that we're going to mention Oh, God, did I say them? You have to tell me what they are then, because I don't know what I said. Yeah, well, you told me how to get my dream house without buying it, so that sounds quite good. Oh, well, there you go. There you go, that's your big takeaway. Yeah, no, it's great. Cheers, I, I love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe, and if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Podcast.